morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. If you've been coming here to church for a while now, you might be wondering where Pastor Bob is and who this guy is up here on the stage. Well, Pastor Bob was looking for somebody to fill in for him, and so he called up one of the best communicators in Bridgewater and was like, hey, can you fill in and preach for me? But this guy said, no, sorry, I, I can't do it. And so Pastor Bob called up the smartest pastor at Bridgewater, asked him if he could fill in and preach, and this pastor said, nope, I'm sorry, I can't do it. So he called up the most good-looking pastor at Bridgewater, and still this pastor said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. So just the other week, Pastor Bob called me, and he's like, hey, can you please fill in for me? And I told him, Bob, I can't say no to you four times in a row. I guess that I'll do it. Uh, Honestly, though, I am so excited to be here. I think very highly of Pastor Bob and Pastor Josh, and I love this campus. It was about a year ago today that I was an intern here, and I had the opportunity to serve God here and get to know some of you, and I'm just so thankful for that time. I am currently serving at our Tunkhannock campus. I'm preaching there on a regular basis and working alongside our new campus pastor there, Kurt Goglin, and God is doing some really awesome stuff in Tunkhannock. We've been celebrating baptisms and salvations on a regular basis, and we've even been outgrowing our building and just looking towards whatever it is that God has next for us. And I know that some of you have been praying for Tunkhannock, you've been praying for the people serving down there, and I just want to say thank you so much because God is really working through prayer. Now before I get into the message, just one more update that I want to slip in there, and that is back in February... I proposed to the love of my life, and I'm not going to give you all the details on the story, but I will say this is an example of God working miracles, because after the first date, she said she did not want to date me or that she was not interested in me, and now we are getting married on August 12th, so thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about what God has in store, and God is just so good, and there's nothing better than following after him. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we could all be here this morning to worship you. God, you are so worthy of all of our worship and all of our devotion, and I ask that you would just quiet our hearts this morning. Uh, there's so many distractions going on in our life. Uh, some of the things that we might even be thinking about right now. And I ask that you would just help us to focus on you and open up our hearts to your word. I thank you that you are a God who has made yourself known to us in the way that you uh, desire for us to live. And I ask that we would take your word seriously and put it into practice in our own lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, originally, I'm from the New York area in between Buffalo and Rochester, and that's still where my parents live. So like a good son, I check in on my parents every now and again. I'll give them a phone call and see how things are going. And back in the fall, I gave my parents a phone call, and they were like, guess what happened to us? So they were telling me that they were in town just running some errands, and they were on their way home, and all the roads leading up to their house were blocked off with all these barricades, and there were police swarming the area. And so they waited behind this barricade for about an hour before the sheriff came over and filled them in on the situation. So as the story goes, 
there was a car that was reported for swerving in and out of its lane. And so the police officer pulled this car over, and when he approached the window, the driver ran out the passenger side armed with a handgun and ran into the cornfields right next to where my parents live. And so the police officer chased after this guy and then heard, bang, bang. It sounded like gunshots. They found out later it was actually just a sound cannon for scaring off birds. But this runner thought that the police was shooting at him, and the police thought that this guy was shooting back at him. And so it just escalated the whole situation, and the SWAT team was brought in. So there's helicopters flying around these fields. They even had drones trying to catch this guy, hiding out right next to where my parents live. So eventually, the sheriff escorted my family to their house and told them, all right, lock the doors. Like, this guy is still on the loose. And so my dad locked the doors, loaded the shotgun, kept that next to the bed. And all night, they're hearing the sound of gunshots of the SWAT team firing non-lethal rounds, trying to catch this guy. And it all brings me to this question, and that is, if there was an enemy in your house, would you want to know about it? I think the answer for most of us is yes, absolutely, because none of us want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want to be prepared against any kind of threat. And the reality is that we are up against a spiritual enemy. We can't see this enemy with our own two eyes, but it doesn't mean that he is any less real. And my hope for us this morning is to identify this enemy and to equip ourselves from God's word to be able to stand against him. So if you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll also have it right up here on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. These are some pretty heavy verses. And this passage is describing anybody who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus. These people don't have forgiveness of their sins. They're still lost in their sins. And this describes a point in my life before I became a Christian. All of us were at this point at one time or another. And before I was following Jesus, I was following after the ways of this world. And this world represents values and behaviors that just leave God out of the picture. And so when I was following the ways of this world, I was just chasing after the things that I wanted. I didn't care about what God thought. I was willing to lie, to cheat, to manipulate other people just to get what I wanted when I wanted it. And then on top of that, instead of following Jesus, I was following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That is a, a big fancy title. It's kind of a mouthful. But this is referring to Satan. And because, even though I was a Satan follower, it didn't mean that like, I worshipped Satan or anything like that. I think that people following Satan, most of them, they don't even know that they're following Satan. And that's exactly how Satan wants it. 
He wants people to just be following after their own desires, trying to get the things in life that they want, even if those things don't honor God. And that's how I was following Satan, just trying to get what I wanted. And sometimes sin is fun. Like, I'm not going to deny that, but it all catches up to us. And being on this path is the way that leads to destruction. So that's the bad news. But the hope and the good news is what we see in verse 4. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. If you have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, your identity is no longer an enemy of God, a follower of the ways of this world, or a follower of Satan. You become a child of God. You have this new relationship, this new identity. But here's the tricky thing. Even though we have this new identity, sometimes we don't live like it's really true. I mean, maybe you've had that turning point in your life and you're like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus now. Everything's going to be great. And then you realize that being a Christian is pretty tough. And there's still that draw to go back to the ways that you lived in before, following after the values and the behaviors of this world. And so my hope for us this morning is now that we've identified who the enemy is, that our enemy is Satan, that we would look to God's word and be equipped to stand against him. Because even when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that the influence of Satan just goes away. It's not like all the temptation just disappears. The Satan can't take away your salvation or anything like that, but he can just work extra hard to take you down and to lead you to live a way that doesn't honor God. And so we'll be looking at three tactics from the book of James for how to stand against this enemy. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn to James chapter 4, and we'll be picking up in verse 4. And the first battle tactic is to get humble. Now, hopefully, I didn't lose all credibility to talk about humility with my introduction this morning. So all the credibility on this comes from the Bible. It says in verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, these are some more pretty heavy verses. I was thinking about it this week, like, oh no. I got to go to Montrose and talk to people about being an enemy of God. And so let's just start with the good news. Like I said before, if you place your faith in Jesus for salvation, you are no longer an enemy of God. You become a child of God. But sometimes we're not very good at living like we're a child of God. And sometimes we kind of feel this draw back to the ways of the world and living for ourselves instead of living for God. And one of the ways that we do this is really through pride. Let's go ahead and, and look at uh, the next verse here. In verse 5 it says, or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, 
but shows favor to the humble. And one of the ways that we oppose God is really through our pride. I would define pride as making ourselves the center of our lives. Sometimes we think of pride as just being boastful in the way that we talk about ourselves and just having a high view of being arrogant. But really, a lot of the sins in our lives, the things that drive us, it really comes from pride and just making ourselves the center of our lives. And this is such a big deal to God because God created us to make him the center of our lives. Back when God created the world, he spoke everything into existence out of nothing, just using his words. But his creation of humanity was way more intimate than that. God formed the first human, Adam, out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. And so all of us have a human, a soul within our human bodies. And we are all created to serve God and live in devotion to him. But sometimes we take that breath in our lungs that God has given us, and we turn around and just apply ourselves to chasing after our own desires and making ourselves the center of our lives. And, and this, when we do this, I believe that God opposes us. It's, it's kind of like in soccer. Like when you become a Christian, you are placed on Team Jesus. You're given the jersey and everything. And that team is your identity. Nothing can take you off of that team. But sometimes we're not all good soccer players. And sometimes we start playing as if we're like on the other team. Maybe we start off good and we're following God and we're doing what he has called us to do. And then we see something else in our life that goes against God, but we want to chase after that thing. And so we team up with the world, and it's almost like we're trying to score on our own soccer net. And that is how, even though our identity is a child of God, sometimes we act like we're an enemy of God. And when we do that, God doesn't just stand by and be like, all right, score a goal on the net of your own team. That's fine. No, God opposes us. And when God opposes us, it's because we're opposing God. But the flip side is true, is when we put God in his proper place in our lives, and when we pursue humility, God gives us favor. And humility is really not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Humility is not just degrading yourself. And I know sometimes this is tricky when, when we feel complimented by somebody and we don't know what to do with that compliment. If somebody says, hey, you are so good at your job or you're so good at sports, sometimes something within us wants to be like, no, I'm not really that good, even if that's not really true. Or you say, no, I'm just lucky. And so just downplaying God's ability in your life and what he's doing uh, in your life is not really what it means to be humble. If pride is defined as putting God at the center of your life, I think humility is putting other people at the center of your life. When you're not just chasing after your own desires, you care about the needs of other people. And so you put yourself second and you love others before yourself. And even if you're not a Christian, you can practice this kind of humility in your life. But if you are a Christian, I believe that God calls us to a whole other level. And that is to put God 
in the center of our lives, to make God's desires our desires, and to live in the way that he has called us to live. And I think that when we do this, this helps us to stand against the enemy. And the second point is to get serious. Go ahead and look at verse 7 with me. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. I think that when it comes to Satan, there's kind of two extremes that we can land on. The one extreme is to just give Satan far too much space in our minds. Like if the technology doesn't work at church, we say, demons are in the computer. Or if your car doesn't start or you're sick, you just you blame all of that on Satan. And then there's the other extreme, which I think I'm kind of guilty of, is to not really think about Satan at all. Like maybe, maybe you know there's God and then there's Satan as the enemy of God and you hear a couple of sermons every now and again about spiritual warfare. But other than that, you don't really think about Satan. And I think that there's a healthy balance somewhere in the middle and that we should really take this seriously because Satan is a real enemy who wants to take us all down. And I think that we can stand against him and resist him when we submit ourselves to God. Because Satan would want nothing more than for us to just trip over our pride. To give you a little bit of a backstory on Satan, he actually was an angel created by God up in heaven. Uh, we know a little bit more about him from Ezekiel chapter 28. And in verse 15 it says, your ways were blameless, you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So it was the pride in Satan's heart that caused God to throw him down from heaven. And because of this act of rebellion against God, and because of the corruption that Satan spreads across the earth, there will be a day sometime in the future when God casts Satan into eternal judgment for the rest of of eternity. But until that time, Satan will do his best to take down as many people as he can. He doesn't want anybody to come to faith in Jesus and to make Jesus the savior of their lives. Satan doesn't want Christians to live the way that God wants them to live, and so he tempts them, and Satan uses pride to accomplish his mission. And I know for me, pride is at the door of my heart every day. I think it's easy for me, too, to think about, like, what are the worst sins? That, and I think, like, it's other people who always commit the worst sins. And I think a lot of those sins really stem from pride in their lives. And I need to look at the pride in my own life and stand against Satan's attack and trying to get me to follow my own desires instead of putting God in the center of my life. And I think that one of the ways that we can resist God and resist God, resist Satan and follow after God is to submit to God 
and to draw near to him. I've been thinking about this verse a lot lately that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Because for a few weeks now, I was just thinking, like, I'm not as close to God as I want to be. I kind of just was meeting a standard of reading the Bible, praying every now and again, just kind of checking it off my list, and I wasn't feeling super close to God. So I was thinking about these verses, and I was just kind of making that a prayer, like, God, I want to be close to you. Please draw closer to me. And then I realized that I was buying into some kind of misconception that, like, if I just desired God enough that he would just fill the gap between me and him without me putting in any work. I thought that if I just wanted it enough, God would do that. But I learned that I can't just expect the results without putting in the work. I can't see change in my life without working to change. And so God draws near to us when we take action steps towards drawing near to him. And so something that I've been working on in my personal life It's just reading the Bible before I go to bed. Because I know, for me, I would read it in the morning and think, like, all right, that's enough Bible time for today. And so just filling my mind with that before I go to bed and praying to God and just having constant communication with him throughout my day. I know we say here at Bridgewater all the time, everybody has a next step. And maybe your next step looks a little bit different than my next step. Maybe for you to draw closer to God, it means opening your, your Bible just a few times this week instead of just on Sunday. Maybe it's taking the time to pray before you go to bed. Or maybe it's listening to worship music throughout the week. I don't know what that next step is for you, but I'm sure there is something that each and every one of us can do to draw nearer to God. And the third battle tactic for resisting the enemy is to get holy. Please look at verse 8 with me. Actually, verse nine, uh, last part of verse 8 says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. These are, these are some pretty weird verses. Like If I was just to open up my Bibles to these verses and read them at face value, it kind of sounds like God is telling me to be sad and grumpy. All of this goes back to the fact that we are double-minded people. So we kind of use soccer as an illustration again. Like, all right, we're on Team Jesus, and sometimes we play for God. We're making right plays, moving in the right direction, doing what God has called us to do. But sometimes we turn around, deviate from the right direction, and start following after our own desires. And so it's like we're back and forth between living for God and living for the world. Living for God and living for the world. And these verses are calling us to put aside our worldly desires, put aside the sin in our lives, and then to be broken over the fact that sometimes we just get really comfortable living like the rest of the world. And my question for you is, when's the last time that you were just broken over your sin? Not just frustrated with the consequences, but broken over the fact that what you were doing was grieving a holy God who loves you. And I believe that we can live this out 
when we compare ourselves to God. I know it's really easy for me to just compare myself to other people. I look at their sin and I'm like, well, at least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not going as far as they're going or doing what they're doing. And when I just make my comparisons to other people, sometimes it makes me feel comfortable with just the little sins in my life. Like, all right, it's not that bad, so I'm sure God will give me a free pass on this sin. But when I compare myself to God and his perfection and his holiness, it's like holding a magnifying glass over my sin. And all of a sudden, I'm not very comfortable with it anymore. And I think that this is what it takes for us to pursue holiness and live in the way that God wants us to live. And then lastly, this next point is really a result of putting all these other things into action of getting humble, getting serious, and getting holy. The result is we can gain freedom. In verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I know that up to this point in the message, <laughs> I've called you an adulterous people, an enemy of God, and a sinner. And those are God's words and not mine. So this, this is some pretty heavy stuff that we've been talking about this morning. Maybe you feel kind of beat down. Maybe you feel just kind of the weight of your sin and your mistakes and your imperfection. And maybe you feel like you are down here. But the good news that we just read from this verse is that you don't have to be some kind of super Christian. You don't have to have a perfect record for God to lift you up. All you have to do is humble yourself before God. Give God the proper place in your life and he will come alongside you and he will lift you up. Because honestly, we cannot do any of this in our own strength. We can't overcome this enemy. We can't be the people that God has called us to be just by trying harder in our own strength. But when we give God the proper place in our lives, he will come alongside us and he will lift us up. And my challenge for all of us this morning is to just take a close look at our lives, examine our hearts, and see, is there any aspect of your life that you are not surrendering to God? Maybe you're a Christian and you come to church on a regular basis. Maybe you're pretty consistent with reading your Bible or going to a small group. But there might be just a piece of your life that you are holding on to for yourself. Maybe it's the words that you use, the way that you talk about yourself or the way that you talk about other people. Maybe it's what you do for entertainment or when nobody else is around. And my challenge for you is to identify that part of your life and really just pray about surrendering that to God and putting him in his proper place of following after his ways, making his desires your desires. And maybe you could look in your heart and be like, I don't see anything there. I, maybe I've got a perfect record. Well, if that's the case, my encouragement to you is to just talk to somebody in your family, talk to somebody that you came to church with, and I'm sure they could help you pinpoint an area in your life that could be surrendered to God. And, and I know for myself, it can be so hard sometimes to see the areas that I need to work on, the areas of pride in my life, but it can be really easy to point it out in other people. And my hope for us is not to do any finger pointing 
but to just turn the mirror back on ourselves and to, to really humble ourselves before God. And I think that this is what it takes to resist the enemy, to humble ourselves, to take the spiritual battle really seriously, to follow after God and pursue holiness. And we have the hope that when we do that, he will lift us up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so thankful that we are not in this battle alone. Uh, God, we cannot do it on our own strength. Um, but you, you give grace and favor to the humble. You lift us up. And God, I'm so thankful that we don't have to fear Satan, uh, that we don't have to be overcome by him. Satan is not going to see the final victory. God, the victory is in you. And I thank you uh, just to know that you are all-powerful. You are strong when we are weak. You are faithful when we are faithless. And God, there's never a point where we're too far that you won't um, receive us back. And God, I pray for everybody here this morning. I don't know what their situations are in their life, but God, I ask that you would speak to their hearts and help us as a church to just come alongside each other, build each other up, and live for your glory. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.